Um, our next speaker is going to talk about the U.S. Uh, confrontation uh, with China and the South China Sea. Uh, uh, K.J. Noi is a South Korean independent scholar based in the United States. He's a journalist and educator who specializes in the geopolitics of Asia and in issues of global security and health. He has reported extensively on great power competition, geostrategic messaging, and the media ecology and its effects on communities. He's collaborated with various scholars on the geopolitics of global health, indigenous health rights policy, structural violence, and medical care delivery under neoliberal capitalism. His latest article is one that we all um, are interested in, uh, and we'll put this into the chat. It's called The Neglected Role of the Military as a Disease Vector, Implications for COVID-19 and for the Global Public Health Policy. Thank you very much for being with us, KJ. Please go ahead. Thank you so much, and it's really an honor and a pleasure to be with uh, everybody here. Uh, just to uh, just a brief comment uh, regarding the article. This was something that I worked with with uh, a team of researchers at York University at their public health department, and we were trying to understand why areas such as Guam, Okinawa, Hawaii, um, Korea uh, had contained COVID but we're suddenly seeing large uh, outbreaks. And we were able to correlate and also show causation in certain cases that these were related to US deployments because troops can travel uh, and bypass uh, screening and visa control and public health measures. So I invite people to look that up. And um, I'm going to uh, go right ahead and uh, do my presentation piece here which is about the escalation to war in the South China Sea. So as you all know, uh, currently the US is escalating to war. Uh, there's, no, uh, there's no kind way to put this. And we're currently in a kind of a pre-kinetic phase uh, or a subkinetic phase, which is largely characterized by hybrid warfare and information warfare. But to go through, we have to really understand a little bit of the global scene and also a little bit of the history. So the West has had a long history uh, with China. Uh, the US adopted a yellow peril trope uh, fairly early on. Uh, this was a German colonial war trope. Uh, and then, of course, the U.S. was also involved in the Opium Wars, uh, and uh, eventually about 10% of China's population were addicted to opium. But this was a windfall for the United States. The great American fortunes, the East Coast fortunes and the Ivy League institutions were built on this uh, drug trafficking. So essentially, there has been a long history of race war against China and the Chinese. And we know that from uh, the early uh, 20th century, late 19th century, where we saw mass uh, lynchings of the Chinese. Uh, the largest massacre, uh, the largest lynching in US history was actually against the Chinese. Uh, and where I live, not far from where I live in the San Francisco uh, Bay Area, 
the residents of Antioch burned down a Chinatown. But even before that, the Chinese had been digging tunnels under the ground because they would be lynched if they were found walking on the streets after sunset. And so this is where we get the term a Chinaman's chance. Uh, of course, we also know about the Japanese internment, and we see all of this kind of hate mongering in the current moment with the language coming out of the Biden administration. And of course, it's impossible not to notice the epidemic of attacks against Asians. Uh, we can't blame this on Trump because they're happening outside of the Trumposphere. Uh, this is an image of a series of Buddhas that have been desecrated in Vancouver. Uh, the UK itself has had a 300% spike in hate crimes. And of course, we can see that they've continued to spike after Donald Trump has been effectively silenced. So these attacks on Asians are inseparable from the racist attacks on China. And as we know, uh, it has resulted in mass shootings and death. Uh, my argument would be that a wholesale policy of hate mongering in order to manufacture consensus, consent for war trickles down into retail violence. So in your communities, your neighbors, Asians are collateral damage. If you prepare to attack over there, you will get attacks over here. Uh, the fat is smoking in the pan. And so we're currently moving towards uh, in a phase of hybrid warfare. And hybrid warfare is a mixture of soft and hard power, state and non-state actors, conventional and non-conventional operations. Uh, the US has this belief in full spectrum dominance. All domains are contested and should be controlled, but they also believe in using all the levers of diplomatic, economic, non-conventional uh, warfare. So this is uh, what we call multi-domain warfare. And currently what it looks like is economic and financial warfare against China, tech warfare, legal warfare, or lawfare, including the kidnapping of Chinese executives, diplomatic warfare, military brinksmanship, civil subversion, as we saw in Hong Kong, and academic warfare. So um, the total information warfare is largely around human rights abuses, genocide, Chinese made and released COVID, China's destroying the planet. The, the upshot is that China is a threat to the world. So uh, as we know, in war, the first casualty is truth. Information warfare always precedes kinetic shooting war. We have to understand why the US is at war with China. It goes back to Martin Luther King's three evils. In 1949, China stood up. This resulted in a wave of uh, Sinophobia that we now know refer to as uh, McCarthyism. Um, and then during the Nixon era, uh, there was a slight thaw in relations. And after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1989, uh, the Hawks, the, the China Hawks came back. Key among this was a man called Andrew Marshall. He was the model for Dr. Strange Love. And uh, Daniel Ellsberg has said that Dr. Strange Love is actually a documentary, it's not fiction. Uh, 
But anyway, Andrew Marshall was the top advisor to 12 secretaries of defense. He ran the Office of Net Assessment for 42 years, the Pentagon's internal think tank. And uh, he had two obsessions. One was US military uh, supremacy, and the other was preventing China's rise to power. These are some of his mentees, the people that he mentored into power. You may recognize some of them. Cheney, Wolfowitz, Rumsfeld, Kripinovich, Pillsbury, Herman Kahn, Richard Pearl. And of course, uh, his key acolyte, Paul Wolfowitz, penned the 1992 Defense Guidance Planning Document, which was a plan to dominate the world. This was disavowed because it was so embarrassing when it was leaked, but it became the project for the new American century. And it has a plan for full spectrum dominance, unipolar global dominance. And it explicitly mentions China as a threat. So we can track this policy development from the defense planning guidance document to the project for a new American century, to the Bush doctrine, to the Obama doctrine, i.e. the pivot to Asia, the Trump doctrine, and the Biden doctrine. The pivot to Asia, as you know, was started in 2011. It actually started earlier. The architect of it was Kurt Campbell, and it's essentially a plan to encircle and take down China. It also has at the same time uh, explicit battle doctrine, which is called air-sea battle. And this was put together by Andrew Kripinovich, who was also another acolyte or mentee of Andrew Marshall. Now, the, they're also at the same time, uh, another group called the Blue Team. And these were people who are alleging the same things that we're hearing right now. China is a mortal irreconcilable threat uh, they're stealing military secrets, slave labor, etc. And of course, you may recognize some of these blue team members. Again, uh, Frank Gaffney, Robert Kagan, uh, Elliot Abrams, uh, John Bolton. Uh, I think you know these people. Uh, and also not to forget Nancy Pelosi, who was part of this blue team. And so these uh, people, essentially their neocons, uh, said that there was no hope of coexistence with China, and they have been building uh, foreign policy for decades, uh, uh, which is preparing for war with China. Now, to understand the geopolitics, we have to understand a little bit of uh, the geography. This is a topologist map of the world. That is to say, it shows only connections, not sizes of countries. You can see at the top, China has more connections with other countries than any other country in the world. The top two thirds is what is called the world island. It's essentially Eurasia and Africa, and it's all connected uh, overland. The bottom third is the Americas. And as you can see, it is separated. Uh, the top two thirds contains most of the world's population, most of the world's wealth, and if it becomes connected, it will become the most powerful uh, region of the planet. This was anticipated by Halford McKinder in 1904. He said that whoever rules Eurasia commands the heartland, and who rules the heartland, the world island, commands the world. And he referred to the heartland as the pivot state. This is where we get the term pivot to Asia. Uh, this was picked up by Brzezinski in his grand chessboard and then reformulated by Paul Wolfowitz into the defense planning guidance document. So we have the Heartland theory, pivot state becomes the grand chess game, becomes defense planning guidance, becomes the project for a new American century, which becomes the pivot to Asia. And so 
China is effectively encircled. As you can see, this is the force, uh, forces arrayed against uh, China currently right now. Uh, you can see that it actually creates a circle or a ring around China. Uh, there is a specific plan to take China down called Air Sea Battle. It's actually based on the USSR battle doctrine, the battle doctrine against the USSR called Air Land Battle, which was about deep battle extended in time and space, aggressive initiative or aggressive war, and multi-domain integrated battle. And it was never applied against the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union collapsed, but it was applied in Gulf War I and all subsequent battles after that. So uh, going back to air-sea battle, um, it also uh, connects with another document called Thinking Through the Unthinkable, which is a document by Rand, which understands that China is locked in by the South China Sea. There's a bottleneck at the Malacca Straits and through the South China Sea, $5.3 trillion worth of China's goods uh, and trade travels through the South China Sea and 77% of China's oil. So if the US goes to war with China, it doesn't have to win the war. All it has to do is simply uh, create disruption in trade and China's economy could reduce by 30%. Rand says that it's best if this happens before 2025. China's response has been to build defensive perimeter, especially in some of the islands of the South China Sea. You can see they're right next to US bases in or US uh, potential bases in the Philippines. And Blinken has just said that uh, they see uh, an attack on any Philippine uh, vessels or aircraft uh, that would invoke uh, US, uh, the US-Philippines Mutual Defense Treaty. And this comes as there's massive momentum. There's the G7, NATO, Quad, Five Eyes, which are all accelerating uh, their exercises against China. There are belligerent brinksmanships and phone ops exercises in the South China Sea and the continual escalation of hybrid warfare. Um, the South China Sea especially is uh, potent for conflict because there's so many overlapping claims. The US actually created, uh, engineered uh, a, a, a legal case against China, which was a form of lawfare. And, um, once again, uh, the war with China would essentially destroy and take down China. Uh, Rand suggests that the US should make prudent preparations to enable a long and intense war with China. So again, the other, the other response by China is the Belt and Road Initiative, which is to escape from the sea choke point by doing a long march over land. So this is what we see here, the overland Belt and Road through Myanmar, through Pakistan, through Xinjiang, through Iran, uh, all the way to Western Europe and to Africa. And you'll note that everywhere where there is uh, the Belt and Road Initiative, you'll also see that there's tremendous disturbance, which a lot of it can be traced to US intervention. So the CMEC, CPEC, Xinjiang, Djibouti, also Lebanon itself was supposed to be a keynote of the Belt and Road until the port was suddenly destroyed. Um, the Belt and Road becomes the physical realization of the heartland. It becomes the pivot state and it 
changes the nature of the geopolitical global balance. Taiwan is also a key issue. It's the center of the first island chain of this encirclement. Taiwan is 81 miles from China, and the Bashi Channel is the only deep sea channel that allows China to move from the continental shelf into the deep waters of the Pacific. And the other issue is that Kinmen, Jinmen Island, is three kilometers from China. This is literally the view from the beach from Jinmen Island in Taiwan. This is how close it is. So you can see that there is massive escalation. There are massive risks, uh, and uh, and there is massive hybrid warfare. The U.S. is currently working on what is called the third or fourth offset, which involves autonomous warfare, subsurface warfare, long-range fires, uh, tactical nukes, dispersion and swarming, full-spectrum hybrid warfare. Uh, the offset strategies, the first offset was really mass, that is, you have a more massive bomb, nuclear, nuclear bombs against Russia. The second offset was precision. If the other side has nuclear bombs, then you can knock them out with precision-guided cruise missiles. The third and fourth offset are a, a counter against precision, which is dispersion and automated warfare. So the escalation is increasing moment by moment, day by day. Is China a threat? Clearly not. Chinese have not waged a full-scale war outside their borders since uh, 1979. And that was a response against Vietnam's invasion and colonization of Cambodia, which was a Chinese ally. The US during that period has engaged in combat in 66 other nations and has countless uh, interventions and coups. So I want to say we have to organize, educate, act, Despair is not an option. And there's a link to the organization that I work with, peacepivot.org. I also uh, recommend Code Bank, No Cold War, and of course, Veterans for Peace. Thank you so much.